Hello, hello, hello. Back from a remarkably May and June. Very busy. I'm sure you all were too. Hope you're listening. Looking forward to chatting to you. Bringing you the next episode of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. It's our podcast. This is Tomás O'Leary, your host. Wow, where have we been? Well, we had our annual event on the 1st of June, which kept us busy getting ready and all the follow-up and activity post-event. It was our Empower event, where we're looking to empower you as the decision-makers in your business to make better decisions. Well, this year's theme was being a healthy skeptic, something I'm thinking you've all heard us talk about on the show. Now, what I loved about this event is that previously we've done these kind of in um, kind of Zoom, Teams, Times models, and now it was an online event this time again, but this time we ran it with a live audience. So um, somebody suggested uh, one of our, our hosts on the, on the day, Richard Beaumont, it was a Peloton-style event. So ran really, really well. We were delighted to have it. Oh, wow, we had, some, we had some great presentations, great discussions. I hope you can go and check it out and hear some of the things we talked about. But really, some of the things we really pushed, this healthy skeptic kind of concept, really we're talking about enabling IT leaders across all disciplines of IT to ask better questions. Really, we're talking to people is be more curious. This is what we're asking people to be. Ask better questions. Get out there. Don't accept the status quo. You know, why, you know, we ask this question all the time here. Why buy software buying models, but why do they only benefit one party? Why is there only one party that benefits from that? Um, and it's never, never the buyer. It's never the buyer. We need to break down the walls that keep enterprise tech planning constrained. That is our problem. And these are the things we talked about. It feels like sometimes we are perpetually stuck in the present. So how do we get out of that? How do we move along? So, so we, lots and lots of conversations about that, which is really, really interesting. We had some of our um, some customers along. You'll hear some customers from Liberty Mutual. We've had an iSource, uh, Mike Rosa, ex-CIO from iSource. We had Thierry Bonhomme, who's over from, from Paris. We actually ran. We had great, the great thing was we were able to have the, the guys live in the studio, uh, the vast majority of them in the studio in, in our office in Dublin, and then a live audience, which is mostly made up of our own team, sitting in front of us listening to, a sh- listening to the show, and then we had obviously you guys online. So yeah, it was a really, really good show, really enjoyed it. There was a real high point though for me personally, Empower 2023 really pushed out the message around climate change, the right to repair. And we were delighted to be able to announce a sponsorship of an organization called This Spaceship Earth. This Spaceship Earth's message is simple around climate change. It states that we are all crew on this spaceship, not passengers. We are all crew. And it is really, really, really important message to get out there. And there's some really interesting ebook that's just been published that you'll get to see. Hopefully, if you go in on a website, you'll see all about it. But we also had Jan Hoekstrad from Free ICT Europe talking about what's been happening there. Yeah, so you know, we saved the right to repair topic for the, for the end. Because, well, why? Because, it, well, it's, it's kind of an explanation point on everything that we've been saying about questioning the motives and the outcomes. These the outcomes. The mega vendor lend decisions are created for you as customers and all of us who participate in the industry. It's not good. We need to change what's happening out there. And the only way to change is to, is, as we say in this thing, be curious, be that healthy skeptic. So we don't want to be adding to the expense. We don't want to be adding to the environmental footprint. So we have to make decisions now. Today is the time. 
you know, it's unhealthy for the environment for us to delay, 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 and it's bad for your company's financial health. Um, Richard Beaumont, our host on the on the day, he was talking about this. There are financial impacts on this, and this is where we're going to go on this show. We're going to take you back first of June to that conversation we had at the end, hosted by Richard Beaumont with myself, Jan Hoekstraat from Free ICT Europe, and co-founder of Spaceship Earth, Tim Rummage. I'll let you go there. It's a big topic. I hope you enjoy the session. Okay, here we are. Final session. We're going to work out whether there's an unanswered question we haven't touched yet. But as I said, before we get going, it would be great just to get everyone introduced. Jan. So my name is Jan Hofstad. I'm located in the Netherlands, uh, working for Free ICT Europe as uh, executive uh, director and involved in the, the operation also uh, the, in our work in, in Brussels, connecting with uh, the policymakers, etc. Wonderful. Uh, you met me earlier, uh, Tomas O'Leary, uh, CEO and founder of Origina. So delighted to be sitting here with my, my colleagues on this excellent topic. And Tim. I'm Tim Rummage. I'm a planetary ethicist, the chief science officer of the Spaceship Earth and professor of environmental studies at Ringling College of Art and Design in oh, Sarasota, well. Florida. So. Well, a pleasure to have, have the three of you here. So. Okay, this is this is kind of a weird one. We've had we've had four presentations around what we can do to improve the way that we maintain and use our software. Now here we are with Free ICT Europe, this spaceship Earth, and Origina. And I've got to ask the question. Okay, so what is what is the journey by which each of you have found yourselves in you know that organisation? And yeah, maybe you know yours is an interesting one. Well. Yeah, so before I entered the, the world of IT, I was uh, involved into the automotive sector, car parts, etc. And there, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was the, the whole development around right to repair uh, for repair shops and, uh, and body shops uh, in cars. And at that time, uh, there was made special uh, EU legislation for that, that did protect the independent uh, workshops. Then I moved to, into the IT and all of a sudden I saw the same issues that were coming, uh, were discussed in the automotive sector right. to be also coming up because of the policies of the manufacturers right. in the IT uh, world for the independent uh, businesses. So that triggered me to say, hey, I've seen this before. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so that was like, okay, is, that there, is there a chance that we can uh, yeah, move to the same direction and, uh, and become active in Brussels? Uh, which is at the end what we did, but uh, so that was the, the the main trigger for me. Uh, yeah, the recognition from uh, yeah the policies of OEMs that are yeah harming uh, the functioning of of the marketplace. So manufacturing a journey through. And Tim, if I, if I may come to you next, I mean I love the idea of a planetary ethicist. So how did you arrive at this station? <laughs> um, <laughs> David Huol, who co-founded the organization with me, um, would be a guest lecturer in my classes. Uh, and we started just talking about the status of the world as we saw it. Um, he was doing a great deal of traveling. I've been doing a lot of research on the environment. And we were looking at the impacts humans were having um, that they were really unaware of, especially sort of the cumulative and ongoing effects. Um, we, see what, we see what we as an individual might do but looking at the cumulative impact of this is really the issue here for us. That's where the urgency comes from. It's just seeing the, 
the massive change that we are all making inadvertently um, and, um, uh, and not wanting to make that mess, but it's just happening. Um, and so how to get people to think about what we could do instead of what the habits we're doing that are leading to a bad end. Got it. So Jan, automotive OEMs seeing a problem free ICT Europe. Tim, travel, research, looking at impact, planetary-wide approach through Spaceship Earth. And the focal point where these two organizations have met somehow is originals. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Complete accident, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Through, through down. Um, yeah, we, we were creating a business in the data center repair industry right. um, out of the ashes of a previous company that was in partnership with IBM. Right. Um, I wanted to find organizations that we that could help us that because we're now no longer aligned. And it's how I first met Jan at a conference in Amsterdam in 2011. Oh. We were only starting the business at the time. It was the year before we got their software business off the ground. And I started hearing stories that Jan mentioned there that had been previously uh, impacting the automotive industry. I started to hear stories that of of unfair practices right. the sort of things we've heard about over the course of today already yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um but worse actually you know you know um, subtle changes um to contracts um changes to the rights of firmware on, on on the hardware stack that meant that if you bought the hardware these are very expensive pieces of equipment sometimes costing many millions each Many millions each. That's why these aren't cheap equipment. Cheap equipment that actually they you didn't actually own it fully. You only uh, owned the right to use it, but you didn't actually own it. Right. So actually, at the end of the you decided to dispose of it. You could not dispose of it without asking permission from the manufacturer. Right. Can you just imagine? Right. Well, actually, yeah. you can because today. <laughs> If it could, that's exactly what the all the consumer good manufacturers. So I could see this was going to happen. And that's what motivated me to get involved in 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 initially free free ICT and obviously the supporting obviously we are now doing of the spaceship Earth. So yeah, that's how I got into it. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice. I'm gonna be a, a healthy skeptic. And I work with a lot of organizations. They're all trying to tackle scope free. They're all looking at their wider impact on the environment. You know, if I think about IT, okay, hardware I get. We've got mining to get the raw materials in the first place. We've got redundancy of equipment and perhaps bad disposal of it. We've got a multiplication of consumer devices that is largely out of control. So I understand that hardware in the IT domain is a problem and a global problem mm. but software I'm struggling to understand how software has an environmental impact mm. Torres what am I missing well you're not curious for example though <laughs> <laughs> on the theme of curiosity but are you not curious though your phone over time as you apply more software patches to it or updates degrades and actually right. stops working. There's actually very little wrong with the hardware. It's the software that drives hardware obsolescence in many cases. Right. All right. That's the first thing. That's at the consumer level. At a business level, the issue is even worse because actually in excess of 60, probably close to 65% of technology that's consumed on the planet 
is not consumed by you and us as consumers. It's consumed by businesses. Right. That's where it's actually consumed. That's these large data centers, these cloud infrastructures that businesses use to churn huge amounts of data. Ultimately, as consumers, we may be using it, mm. but it's the software that is actually the changes in the software that's driving the hardware changes fundamentally. If you go back to late 2019, early 2020, not that long ago, just before COVID, mm. a story probably would have broken, except for what happened later with COVID, right. around Windows 7, a version of Windows that was coming end of life after many years of being in existence. Um, this version was actually coming offline. There was one stage, there was one and a half billion approximately devices around the world that Microsoft boasted that were using Windows um, at this particular version. And when it was coming end of life, which is their right to be entitled to, to, to stop supporting it, problem is nobody else can. So intellectual property rights ensures the right to Microsoft own the rights to it for 70 odd years, depending on jurisdiction. Yet it's 13 or 14 years later, maximum, and they're going, we don't support this anymore. So what happens? Well, there was estimates that in October 2019, somewhere between 250 million and 400 million devices still were running that particular version of Windows. Right. And they were things like uh, pretty much dumb devices in factory floors, that necessarily dumb, and, and, but just they were rudimentary doing the same function, just the same function. Maybe devices in a hospital environment that were monitoring something, didn't right. need any major changes to it, but on ATM machines. Right. That's ATM machines all around the world. What happened to those? They were pulled out of walls, they were taken out of factories, and they were thrown in landfill. That is an example of how impactful software is. Nothing to do with hardware. The hardware was perfectly able to continue for several years afterwards, but it had to be pulled out of the walls. Why would you need, in the today's world, why would you need another new ATM machine? Wow. Tim, you, you must have a perspective, an outlook upon the consequences of what we've just heard. I mean, how can we even quantify that impact at a, at a global level? There are serious reports that, that do that. I mean, just talking about e-waste in general. In um, uh, 2017, there were 44 million tons of, of e-waste. Um, in 2021, there were 57.4 uh, million tons, more than the great, more than the weight of the Great Wall of China. Um, and we're looking at uh, estimate 2050 of there being 120 million tons. I mean, my, part of my perspective is I look forward. It's not just what has happened, but you know what is going to happen as demand for these resources grow. Um, and if you want to think just about some odd economics, um, um, about 7% uh, of the world's gold supply currently is in e-waste. There's more gold in e per ton in e-waste than there is in a ton of gold ore. I mean, um, so the things have you know, a physical value, they have a monetary value, you know, um, and um, we can't keep hauling, as we're doing right now, 100 billion tons of raw materials out of the ground um, and think that that supply can just go on. And so any way that we want to have a growing economy means we're at a point now where we really need to shift and, and mimic what nature does and figure out how to re recycle, repair, re repair and recycle. The, the concept of waste just has to go away. Got it. And 
Yeah, and this, this, I think that's an excellent point, this idea of we're at the point where we have to mimic nature and, and truly repair and reuse what we've got. I mean, coming on your journey from automotive now into the ICT domain, do you see that tipping point happening now? And is anybody doing anything about it? We're absolutely making progress. Oh. Um, so what you saw that when IT came up and technology was coming up, it was just like, don't touch it. You need a specialist, everything. You need to be dependent. Uh, and of course, it's been proven that that's not the case. And now, especially in Europe, the European Commission wants to simulate uh, everything uh, around making it more open, accessible, repairable, uh, upgradable, also another element, you know, it's not, uh, not so, IT is not only th things that you can use, you can also improve, like you can do with your house or with your car or anything. We, we need to shift our way of thinking and, and move away like, uh, hey, we can do something with this. And I think that's one of the... <clears throat> The things that happened with the, the hardware side which is now required to happen with the, the the software side as well because this is an asset this is something that you own and why can't you open it why can't you do with it uh, what you want there needs to be a certain level of protection but it is you we need to see it more and more as an asset not a black box that is in a blind spot mm -hmm. and uh, so we need to make sure that there are rules that if you own uh, an, a software asset Okay, what are your rights? What can you do with it? And, uh, and that you can make, yeah, as the owner, decisions around this. Okay, so I, I think I've got a sense now that there is a, there's an iceberg that I was probably unaware of, and it's an iceberg that's hardware-filled, but software-driven in that process. So, so Thomas, it, you know, what happens when you... You know, in my in my simple mind, the idea that we can we have a right to repair software so we can ensure continuity, because if it doesn't need to do anything else, we can just repair it and keep it running. Because, as you said, if it's in a dumb tool, that's working fine. Why do we need to do anything different? But I get the sense that the minute you start doing that, you are running directly into the business model of the software companies that are, you know, ever seeking yeah. that progression. So what's your observation from the clients you speak to about that tipping point between the recognition that we have to act and we should have the right versus the pushback from perhaps the OEMs as there was once in the automotive world to say, well, actually right to repair is a problem for us. So, you know, why should we cooperate? What's your, how do you observe that happening? Yeah, well, I think you've got to first of all start with with understanding that all of the cards are in the manufacturer's hands. There has been no rule. So, so we talk about right to repair. We're actually it's a, it's a catch-all, and there are there are there are parts of our, our kind of community, I guess you'd call mm -hmm. it. Okay, speaking as a, a, a part of the right to repair movement yep. that push very specific legislation, but it's actually, in my opinion, it's a catch-all for a set of rules and just uh, kind of like rules of the road. There are no rules of the road at right. all, okay? I think the very first piece of any sort of legislation that came in that provided any rules to the technology industry is GDPR, right? Right. That was just about where you have about data protection. Mm -hmm. That was all it was about. 
very, very small, very important area. Yeah. It was the first time, and it's caused consternation in the industry over mm -hmm. GDP, everybody's GDPR, and suddenly we all think it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But actually, we need rules. There's rules in every other walk of life. Yeah. You know, there's rules about in this building health and safety rules. We all have to deal with, I walk out the road, I have to wait till the green man to cross the road. I have to ride, drive on a certain side of the road in this country, in different sides of the roads in, in Yan and, and, and Tim's country. You know, these are the rules. You know, we don't question them. We accept them. There are none. Okay, there are absolutely no rules. They have made the rules. They've created. So what we now need to do is just take back some of that. Not all of it. We're actually just for some of it. We're looking for fairness. Okay. That's what we're looking for. We're not, there's nothing fair about the current situation. So I don't think they can say anything, to be honest with you. There's nothing they can say because it's totally unfair. It's totally stacked. They have all the chips. We're saying, give us some of the chips, please. We're not, we're saying, give us some of those chips. And that's our job as individuals to raise our voices. We talked about earlier and by being being a part of the uh, be part of the crew as yep. opposed to being a passenger at the beginning of the at the top of the show, um, but I, my my view on, on this is that we need to take 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 the action as individuals, but also legislators, the government have been asleep at the wheel. Like that's what mm -hmm. myself and Jan do when we were involved in free ICT. You know they have totally abdicated their responsibility, and I think we need to push them to make certain rules that protect. Now, we can do our business without any rules. It doesn't need rules. Mm. But certain other parts of the business need rules. Interesting. Tim, if I, if I, if I may come back just to e explore this, it's interesting. Thomas mentioned GDPR. GDPR, European legislation, it has affected everything globally because people touch and operate in within European jurisdiction. German Supply Chain Act is having exactly, about to have exactly the same effect where... A piece of legislation in one country actually will affect global companies in the way that they behave and they account. So, Tim, in uh, in this absence of anybody making the first move to restack the cards away from the OEMs, what's your thinking on how we as individuals or organisations could take that first step to make a change in the absence of any support from legislators. How would you tackle that? I think part of it is we need to make um, consumers more aware of what the real options are. I mean, doing repair is a real option, or at least it should be, but we pretend that it's not. You know. I, I get a broken, you know, my VCR breaks down and I'm told, well, the best thing you could do is buy a new one. I'm going like, no, I mean, I just, I just need somebody to fix, you know, one wire in the back, of, in the, inside the black box and I'm probably you know, okay for another four years. Um, and so, um, so we need consumers to really sort of engage um, and that'll force the economic change is more people prefer to buy products that have these options that prefer to buy um, options where they can do repair um, and use materials and products that have been um, uh, recovered, you know, um, then that changes the market. Um, and all any of the business want to do is survive in the market. So, you know, the consumers can drive the market. They just have to be aware of the fact that they can do that 
And the fact that they're not asking questions is why there isn't a change. There's no support for it. So we so need to educate the consumer, yeah. Right, so conscious consumers drive the train through awareness. Right. Interesting. And the right to repair give, give people a framework. Right. Yes, that's the good part about it. Yeah. So these, these, these legislative bills that are going around has got to give people a framework. Okay, well, gentlemen, we are where we are. We haven't got the legislation to drive the push. We have a recognition of urgency. There is clearly a problem. Right to repair, as you say, is a framework that can do it. Mm. But what I'd love to do is just as a, I suppose, a final question to the three of you is, we're all about practical steps to make a difference. And I'd just love to get, you know, if you were going to give one takeaway, one piece of advice that, you know, you could tell our audience, just do this tomorrow or today, and you will start to have the positive impact that we're we're talking about. Yeah, what would be your one one thing? It doesn't need to be one line. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crucial that we open or copy behavior and thinking that we have already to the business and IT environment. Yeah, we all use secondhand products privately. Second, um, second, uh, or your home is already second uh, secondary used. Um, or secondary cars, uh, is to, it's it's already there. You know, some of us even have uh, well relationships that are. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you're driving in your Tesla, you already see. You know, things are coming together. That's that's a computer on wheels. And you see issues that we have in the IT environment also coming now coming back into the automotive. So there are a lot of things that are already there. Uh, it's just we don't think about it. We just accept it as it. Put question marks. Why should I replace this? Why should I not repair this? Why is the big question? I think that you did because we are just conditioned to stay in a, in a certain motors, and that's driven by manufacturers, by vendors, um, because they need to keep the numbers uh, up. And that's the and that's the big thing. And because the biggest message is really, okay, if you see the IT spending pro uh, projections uh, for software and hardware, it's all going up, but it needs to go down with you know 30, 40, even maybe fifty percent to reach to a decoupling to to save the resources, bring them back to a level that's acceptable. Just so put the question mark, the why into Love your it. thinking. Tim, what would be your one piece of advice? I'm going to agree with Jan on part of this. One of it is the question is, you know, are we asking ourselves good questions about any of the things that we're doing? For us, the four of us, our age, in our ages, the focus of our education was, did you get the right answer? Hmm. Now it's about, did you actually ask the right question? And that's what we're not really doing these days. We're still stuck with, oh, this seemed this was the habit. This was the right answer a few years ago. Um, let's just keep doing that, and you know, um, and that time has passed. Everything we do every day has a positive or negative impact on the environment. The question is, what impact do you want to have at the end of the day? Be positive, be negative, and you know, 
actually you can start anywhere because it is all connected. And so anything that you do to make it a little bit better is how it, is how it goes. Because all the problems we got now all started very little at the individual level. It's just the cumulative impact that has given it the drama that it has today. Wonderful. Thomas? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to bring it back to um, what Thierry Bonhomme actually said at, at the opening uh, session earlier. He talked about who, how did we get into the situation when Brendan asked him, and he said it was the this, about 20, 25 years ago, the CEOs and CIOs, and suddenly every, everything was about no control over IT and the rolling out of IT, and it was like everybody had to do it. It was consumption, and nobody even appreciated any of the things we're talking about today. And I think... And our audience here is a business audience mm -hmm. and people who work in large businesses. And what I'd be asking to do is don't expect somebody else to fix this problem for you. You've got to fix this problem yourself. You've got to be curious. You've got to have that healthy skeptic mindset. And that's what I'll be asking people to do. Wonderful. Tim, Jan, Tawaz, thank you very much indeed for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.